0: chapter fourteen of countdown by kurt becker s j this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by maria therese twelve andy started talking again and ned forced himself to listen three things had made this whole thing possible andy said one thing was the material of which the ship was built an unusual alloy of aluminum gold and silicon based plastic which was ground to powder and mixed into a paste in a colloidal suspension and then foamed by means of an enormous charge of electricity. Instantly it became rigid, lighter, and stronger than any other metallic substance. The whole vast plane, he said, weighed no more than a jet fighter-bomber. The alloy had odd properties, too. Its surface, which was a strange pinkish-yellow shade, was an almost perfect conductor of heat and electricity in one direction, and an almost perfect insulator in the other. If you touched a flame to the surface you could burn your hand on the same surface six feet away inside of five seconds but on the opposite surface, right at the flame, you wouldn't even get warm. This strange conductivity, apparently, was what made the ship invisible to the radar scanners. The ship's skin was made of an 8-inch thickness of the alloy, called Jansenium, after the man who invented it. The second invention was a storage battery made of gold isotope sponge, which seemed capable of storing indefinite amounts of electricity and discharging it in enormous quantities on demand. Dad said they had one battery which they've been charging day and night for the last five years, with all sorts of gadgets around it to make sure there aren't any leaks. He says there's enough juice in it already to light up the whole city of New York like a Christmas tree every night for a month and run all the subways besides. The third invention was a new fuel for the jet engines, or rather a new additive. "'It's a dry liquid,' Andy said. "'I'll show you when we get back home. I sleep in a tank of the stuff.' It's mixed in with kerosene at something like six drops to the gallon. The kerosene acts like high-octane gas and burns about four times as long. Come on, I'll show you the big drive. The big drive? Ned repeated, wonderingly. Sure, Nancy told him. Jet engines are no good in space, you know. This is a rocket ship. We told you she had a lot of surprises. They moved down the long cabin again toward the back of the ship. Some twenty yards along, Andy stooped and pulled up a square section of the floor. "'Ladder,' he said. Twenty steps. Watch it.' He disappeared into the darkness of the hole, and a second later the square was aglow with light. His voice came up. "'Okay, come along.' Carefully Ned descended the metal ladder, counting the rungs, and then looked about him in surprise. He seemed to be inside a gigantic coil spring made of heavy piping instead of wire, a vast tunnel-like structure. Nancy was suddenly beside him, her face wearing an expression of wonder. "'I never get used to this.' she confided andy led the way forward to where a huge metal cube easily 20 feet on each side was suspended in the center of the tunnel braced massively on all sides as i drew near it ned saw that the entire face of the cube was pitted by row upon row of circular depressions each about 10 inches in diameter andy touched something on the side of the cube with a soft oily sound the metal plates that formed the bottom of the depressions slipped aside out of sight and left gaping circular holes See those holes? Andy asked. They're individual tanks, each holding five gallons of propellant. You'll never guess what the propellant is. (laughs) I haven't the faintest idea, Ned agreed. Water. This is the grandfather of all steam engines. Come on, Andy, Ned protested. Cut it out. Fact. You ever let the air out of a balloon? Sure. You know how it starts rushing all around when the air escapes? Well, this thing works on the same principle. Andy pointed at one of the openings and went on eagerly. The tanks are filled with water, and the water turns to steam, at terrific pressure in there. Then the plug opens, and the steam comes rushing out, just like air out of a balloon, and the engine is pushed away, just like the balloon. It takes two seconds to escape, and then the next tank opens, and so on. There are four hundred tanks, so each one opens up for two seconds, roughly every seven minutes. Must get awfully hot in here with all that steam, Ned commented. Oh, no. Andy shook his head emphatically. This place is full of air now, but when we're in flight, this is pumped out, so it's a vacuum. The steam expands like all get-out from about two cubic feet to about half a million inside of two seconds. This expansion cools it, and these pipes that you're standing on, they go all around the chamber, and they contain coolant, too. So the steam condenses practically instantly, and the water falls down to the tail section and is pumped up again into the engine. We keep using the same propellant over and over, Neat, isn't it? I guess you can call this the world's first self-contained rocket. But what heats it? Ned asked. Electricity. The tanks are lined with tungsten. That's the stuff in light bulbs. Gets white hot almost instantly. That's where the batteries come in. I told you about them. Well, don't the batteries get discharged? We keep charging them. The sun side of the ship gets pretty hot. The other side is cold. You know that sets up an electric current. We store that, and then there are a couple of dozen generators that run on kerosene and bankite. That's the additive I mentioned before. I tell you, Ned, Dad's got a real brain trust working on this thing. They've thought of everything—fuel, air, water, anything you can mention. Doc Seavers—he's in charge of the actual planning—says this ship can go all the way out to the edge of the solar system and back without the slightest trouble. Wow, Ned breathed softly. Wow. What's the first stop? Mars. Dad says he wants to explore that first. He says maybe he can get a settlement going there. But there isn't supposed to be any oxygen on Mars. I know, but Severs says that the spectrographs they've been using aren't accurate, because our atmosphere filters out many kinds of light. He took spectrographs of Mars during a test flight, and he swears there were spectrum lines in them so much like the ones oxygen makes that he's willing to bet his neck we can breathe Martian air. I guess we'll have to wait and see. You mean you're going? Ned asked. Sure, Andy replied. Aren't you? You heard what Dad said about going on a trip. He meant it, you know. Ned shook his head, remembering the picture of the stars in space. My uncle would no more let me go than he'd let me cut off his right arm. Well, Andy started up the ladder again. I personally would be very happy to have you along. So would I, Nancy agreed, want to see the rest of the ship. Ned glanced at his watch. It was almost five. "'I'd love to,' he said, "'but I'd better be heading home. "'Suppers at six-thirty in our house, "'and I don't want to get my uncle more sore than he is.' He looked at his new friends. "'Maybe I could come back again?' "'I'll give you a whistle,' Andy told him. "'Anytime you want to come back, you blow it, "'and somebody will pick you up.' He hesitated and then grinned. "'This sounds awfully funny, I know, "'but are you sure you couldn't come to Mars with us?' We're leaving in about three weeks, I think. End of chapter 14